Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to the Thursday Book I Talk. We're going through a couple different things here on this one. We're going to talk about uh, tight ends, Kate Stover, Jeremy Ruckert. They spoke with reporters on Wednesday. We're going to talk about a potential linebacker transfer into Ohio State. Zane has been out there. We haven't talked about him yet, though, so we'll get into that. And then there is some transfer news with the basketball team we'll get into at the end plus an update on the Buckeye Talk basketball bracket now that we have a final four. So let's start with the tight ends first. And you can uh, get all the information as it happens with the tech subscription. 614-350-3315. Just got a new new addition on Wednesday. Was saying hello on the text to them. 14-day free trial, four bucks a month after that. Tight ends on Wednesday. Nathan Baird, what you got? What was the most interesting thing? that came out of the tight end discussion. Sure. It wasn't on mute. <laughs> I thought that was just the tight end. There is a terror on my face when I realized <laughs> here's the thing. We had a work call earlier today and uh, to a meeting about the NFL draft coverage that we're going to be doing. And I was walking around the house with my laptop, with this headset, like on mute so I could go like downstairs and make lunch because I wasn't really involved that much in the discussion. So I just, I was, I, as you said that question, and as I got ready to answer it, I just like got this jolt of fear through me that, oh, I think I'm probably still on mute. So then I'm like trying to quickly grab my little disc that turns the, but it turns out I wasn't on mute. So all this was for nothing. It should probably just be cut out before anybody hears this. But that was just, it was just the, the listeners just like, oh my God, there's nothing interesting to say about the tight ends. <laughs> or Nathan is stunned into silence. Or there's the something that came group. out today that was like so massive that you need to brace yourself for what I'm about to say. But that's brace not really yourself. the case. Joe Royer is working hard. Oh my <laughs> God. I, I can't. Tell you what. There was some fun stuff out of the Joe Royer thing. If you want to spend any time on Joe Royer, I thought he was interesting, but really I don't know how much of an impact he will be for 2021. I thought the most important people to talk to today, as you said, were Ruckert and Cade Stover, because I think as we've talked, even debated, how much do we think Cade Stover will be able to make an impact in 2021? So my first question to him was, you know, a year ago, you were a good football player transferring transitioning to tight end how are you a good football or how are you a good tight end now how can you help this offense now I think that was kind of the crux of a lot of questions he got today and uh, he's not really a man of many words but what I thought he got across was that he feels comfortable as the as an offensive player in general like being out in space um, getting the ball making plays that isn't really a big deal for him moving from linebacker defensive end whatever he played before to to tight end it's all of the very tight end specific parts of the job that make that transition hard. You know, being an inline blocker, knowing your tight end responsibilities, um, knowing uh, what, what separates a tight end from any other position on the field. So I think that is where we still, until we actually see him go out and do it, I think that's still the big question. Like, does he go out there and look like a good football player who is trying to play tight end, or does he go out there and look like a Big Ten tight end, an Ohio State tight end? That's what I still want to see when we're finally able to actually see these guys play football. 
Stephen, did you come away from the conversation feeling like Kate Stover's ready to be a somewhat important part of this offense in 2021? I think so. Yeah, I think the, the biggest takeaway is the walk-ons or the blocking tight ends and the scholarship guys or the receiving tight ends. That was what I took. Away. Yeah, I do, though. I think if they needed a second tight end, he can be that. But the more important takeaway is, um, as I think Corey pointed out, and then Jeremy Rucker went into more detail about, is the simple fact of they're expanding Jeremy Rucker's route tree. Now, we'll see if that means absolutely anything once they start playing games. But uh, that's the most interesting thing that came out of that when, in terms of you know, how the tight ends are going to be used. Jeremy Rucker is going to get a lot of the targets for, I mean, the, the 20 targets tight ends get, Jeremy Rucker is going to get 18 of them. And maybe there's two or three that are open for Kate Stover to get. What do you think, Nathan? Is the, How much of this Rucker stuff is real? It's the same conversation we've had a million times. We think he's a good player. I mean, expanding the route tree is like a specific thing, right? That's more mm-hmm. than just like, oh, we'll try to get him the ball. Like, are you buying it, Nathan Baird? Ex- expanding the route tree to just like have him run more decoy routes or have him run more like, I, you know what I mean? Like that's it. expanding the route tree doesn't mean a lot to me. It's more like um, the question I asked him was I asked him about his decision to come back and whether conversations about his role in the offense were part of that. Did you did you talk to this coaching staff about, hey, if I'm going to come back, what does it mean for me as a receiver in this offense? Because let's face it, that is a part of what makes him a more appealing NFL draft prospect eventually. Like how much does he show as a receiver? And his response to that and whether he believes it or whether he just feels like it is the thing he's supposed to say is it's a two way street that, you know, they're, they're willing to throw me the ball more if I go work on myself and make myself a better receiver and prove that I need to get those, those targets. That does still sound like exactly the same thing that we've been talking about for three years, four years with Jeremy Ruckert though. Right. So I think it seems like he has to get more targets in some ways, because it was, we talked about before pulling a second tight end out of this offense means that there's let there are fewer tight ends to throw to on any given play. But I, I, I still, as far as like any chance of him, like, blossoming him into like a 40 30 even catch guy it still seems down the I, I don't know I that's another thing that I'm still skeptical is going to happen did, did he express any kind of yeah I wish I would have gotten the ball more so far in my career or did he not go there he never goes there uh, he I don't even think he went there last he didn't go there uh, today I know he didn't go there last year either because he gets asked that type of question and he's always just like well no it's all about developing as a complete tight end and it's like that's fine Jeremy but you catch balls with one hand, okay, in Big Ten championships. But there's only so much he can complain about that. It's not like Ohio State, like, forgot there was a tight end as soon as they recruited Jeremy Ruckert. Like, this is the way – it's not like they've ever really been a prolific tight end receiving offense. Jake yeah. Houseman had more catches in the pro day yesterday than he has in, in his entire Ohio State football career. So, okay, so nothing, so nothing changed. So it was the same tight end conversation that always takes place. Okay, what was fun about Joe Royer? Does he have crazy hair or something? What was the Joe he Royer He cut thing? his crazy hair. He, he does kind of have a little bit of a, a, a fro or whatever going on there. It was just interesting to me to, to hear him talk about, because he came in, I wasn't here when Rucker came in, but everything we've been told, you guys, Doug, you would know more, that, you know, a guy who was more of a receiver at the high school level, almost like a glorified tight end like Mm -hmm. you know used more as a split out receiver and then having to transition in college that was really the 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 Jeremy Ruckert storyline for the first couple years and Joe Royer is like a a junior varsity version of that in a little a little bit the way he described it coming in as being having been more of a receiver at the college level first of all he comes in and sits down for these zoom interviews and you're like oh that guy doesn't look like those guys I was just talking to that guy does not look like even Mitch Rossi in a lot of ways like he's it's a different build he's still growing into what a a Ohio state slash big 10 tight end would be, but just, he told some fun stories about like, um, you know, the first time he tried to, to go up and engage Zach Harrison and just getting like crushed into the backfield 10 yards. And then Kevin Wilson, just kind of looking over and at him and like giving him this face, like, all right, (laughs) here you are, you're in the big 10 now. And like, that's then, so then that that's like the, the origin story for everything that comes after him. Like this last year has probably been like with that in the back of his mind, like I need to go eat this and I need to go lift that. I need to not let that happen in the future. Yeah. I went and saw him at elder uh, his senior year, him and Jacob James, when they played LaSalle and that team obviously had Jake Seibert and 2021 commit, uh, Jalen Johnson on it. He played wide receiver in high school. He's learning how to be a tight end. Basically, he 
I don't remember him taking a single snap in that game with his hand in the dirt. Okay. We're going to take the earliest break in the history of Buckeye Talk because I'm <laughs> good with the tight end conversation. I thought maybe I wasn't on it. I thought maybe it would be something different and new, and it's not. Jeremy Ruckert's a good player. Cade Stover is learning the position, and everybody else is still skinny. I, I will say that you know last season, obviously, they were in a situation where it was Farrell and it was Ruckert, and those guys just played all the snaps, really. Even Jake Hausman didn't really get a lot of snaps last year in any kind of a real way. And one thing they did mention today that will be just something to keep an eye on is if Ruckert is this like number one guy, and there really isn't a two that there does seem to be some specialization as far as roles, Mitch Rossi basically saying like, I, they might as well call me a fullback. Cause that's what I do. So uh, do they use those guys less, but use them in a more specialized way when they do use them? Are the walk ons going to have more snaps than Joe Royer and Kate Stover just because of the position, the specific, the specific position that's high they play. Whenever you see Ohio State use a fullback, well, this is spring mumbo jumbo. Well, no, uh, this is real. They're not going to be like a goal line play. thing. It's more like a goal line. More thing. like he's the blocking tight end if it's they do two thing. tight end sets. It's, it's not a thing. All right, tell me what was said. Yeah. No, but just because it was said doesn't mean it's true. To be fair, we they don't did. have to just regurgitate what they I'm said. Not regurgitating. I'm just telling you that. it. It doesn't. Okay. To be fair, they did line up Jeremy Ruckert in the backfield once or twice last year. That's the most that's ever going to happen. And that concludes tight end talk on Buckeye Talk. We'll be yeah. back with transfer talk right after this. All right. So we're getting, we've gotten a couple text messages about this guy. His name has been out there. We have not written about him. We have not talked about him because I had to double check how to say his name today. And it is interesting. It doesn't necessarily feel like it's going to happen, but there's some stuff maybe percolating. And it's Henry To'o To'o who is a linebacker from Tennessee, who is definitely transferring from Tennessee. He was a top 50 national recruit in the class of 2019. He's played for two years at Tennessee. He was an inside linebacker for them last year. You can tell he's a good player. Someone, uh, a texter, and I apologize, I didn't grab it. The texter who sent it, you know I'm talking about you, was like, hey, we know Doug loves Ryan Chazier. If you love Ryan Chazier, check out Henry To'o To'o. And I actually didn't get a Shazier vibe. I got a little more of like a Raquan McMillan vibe. I mean, this guy's like in the box and is getting putting his nose on running backs in holes, but also looked decently comfortable in coverage. I thought he's definitely transferring and all the talk initially when he declared he was transferring because Jeremy Pruitt got fired and he said, I'm out of here was Bama, 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 Bama. And his dad even told, I, I think uh, Bama online, I think it is that like they made a mistake, not committing to Bama originally. And that if he's going to go to an SEC school, it's definitely going to be to Bama. So everybody assumes he's going to Bama. The Athletic just put out a list here on Wednesday of the 10 best guys left. 10 best transfers left. He's number one. That's how good this guy is. Everybody thinks he's going to Alabama, but he hasn't gone to Alabama yet. And it's always like people have been waiting for two months for this guy to transfer to Alabama, and he hasn't. And then Mike Farrell of Rivals reported on Wednesday that he is coming to Columbus to show himself around. So it's always one of those things. It's like, and this is why I'm a little bit knowing nothing. I'm a little bit not wondering about JT Tumalau because it's like, if a guy's supposed to do a thing for months and months and months and months, and he doesn't do the thing. And then it's like, well, why hasn't he done the thing? If everybody's sure he's doing something. So that's where they are with Henry To'o To'o. He looks like a good player. And when we talk about Ohio State transfer guys, it's about grabbing elite guys who plug into a need. Justin Fields, Jonah, Jonah Jackson, Trey Sermon. From that standpoint, Nathan, Henry To'o To'o fits. So we don't know anything. But the idea of it, Nathan, the idea of plugging in a third-year guy who was a top 50 national recruit at inside linebacker, how does that sound to you? Real quick, I want to give one more little piece of context, though, as to why this maybe hasn't resolved yet, and that is the SEC, like a lot of conferences, has an intra-conference transfer rule where if you're transferring to another school within the conference, you have to sit out. And I think last year that got waived because of COVID. They kind of let everybody do what they had to do. I think that's still unclear. 
this year. It sounds like that rule would still be in place because he said it was a one-time thing last year. That kind of has to get resolved before, because if he were to transfer to Alabama, he'd have to sit out. If he transfers somewhere else, he might not have to because everybody's getting waivers from the NCAA. But but also they have not passed the one-time transfer rule yet. And so I guess you could say my coach got fired. Give me a waiver. I I don't know, but that also is not a slam dunk, I guess. Right. So certainly not a slam dunk, but certainly within the realm of why they've been giving people waivers. Like it it, it would not shock you that he would get a waiver for that or potentially even less because that's kind of the, the, the climate that we're in there with that. But within the sec, the, the prohibition would still be there. You'd have to do a year in residency, have to sit out a year. So uh, having answered that, yeah, I mean, this is it, it, clearly there's a place this team needs linebackers. This team needs, as we talked before, that this team needs another level of linebacker play. When I was reading about him and have read about him, the name that kind of came to mind because I didn't see those guys, but it made me wonder like, oh, could this be like more of a turn back in the Malik Harrison direction? Someone who plays downhill a little bit, comes down, fills those run spots, you know, in the box, tackling that sort of thing. Um, and that, how would that fit in with this defense and the other athletes that you see with this defense? Does that mix make sense? And I, I think it does. It's just a matter of you've already, you as you're in this transition, does it make sense now to bring someone in from the outside because they're just that good? You can't pass them up. Or as we talked before, that kind of that dynamic of, you know, whose turn is it and whose opportunity and promises you make to guys or whatever, you've got guys who've been waiting for this opportunity now for a few years and you'd be putting another impediment in their place. I do think, for instance, I think when you look at Justin Fields, they had a hole at quarterback for some recruiting stuff, right? That some stuff didn't quite work out and Tate Mart and the offense changed and Tate Martell wasn't really a fit anymore. Jonah Jackson filled a hole on the offensive line where they had had some recruiting misses. Trey Sermon filled a role in the backfield when Brian Sneed had transferred and they had missed some on some recruiting guys, right? That like where they are at linebacker, it's not really recruiting misses because they have these guys who are fourth year linebackers who we talked about a million times and Kayvon Pope, Dallas Gantt, Taraji Mitchell have been waiting to play. But, you know, you look at their 2019 linebackers there. They took two linebackers in 2019. It was Cade Stover, who's no longer a linebacker and Tommy Eichenberg. And that's it. I think I doubled. I think that's right. So you also can see where there is like an opening. And so if, and Dallas Gantz hurt this spring, but if you said to yourself, we're just not a thousand percent sure about Dallas Gantt and Taraja Mitchell as the two primary linebackers, then if you get past that, then you're not exactly sure where you go. Cause maybe it's Cody Simon, but he's pretty young and Henry Toto is in between. He's played for two years. He's still only a third year guy. There's a lot of things that would fit about it. I understand, I think, Nathan, like why they're interested. Well, I was to say also he would have three years of eligibility because last year didn't count. Which we just have to say for everybody. Yes, of course. But yeah, he's played two years. But just, just yeah. Yeah. So he could play three years here if he wanted to. So it's interesting. And I think the fact that like if he's visiting Columbus this weekend, as Mike Farrell, the national guy from Rivals, is saying, like, that seems like something. And like, I don't know that this matters, but it's like, well, listen, his position coach at Ohio state would just be the guy that his old school tried to hire as defensive coordinator. Right. That it's like, all right, well, you know, there's opportunity here. It's a great program. And I think Al Washington's pretty good at his job. So I don't know. It does just feel like there's so much momentum towards Alabama, but Nathan, that I think you made an important point about that. The in-conference thing is slightly more complicated. But I don't think they're desperate, Nathan, right? I don't think it's like, oh, if Ohio State has to go into the 2021 season with the linebackers currently on the roster, I think they're fine. But I think this guy would make them better. Yeah, I think he would. I, or it would at least increase the competition in that room again, which is already seems to be a room where there's probably some decent competition going on. But then it, 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 you, you start to wonder, like, does he – so does he – is he a guy that they would look at as like a will? And then does that push – now Taraja Mitchell and Dallas Gant going more head to head for a spot. Um, like I, it, it doesn't really feel like a numbers problem. It's kind of like what you were saying before. Like when they needed Jonah Jackson, it was like there, there's a huge gap. Someone would have to step up there if they didn't go get Jonah Jackson. Obviously, the same thing with Justin Fields. The same thing with Trey Sermon last year. There was a big gap there that needed to be filled. And it's this isn't that same thing. This would be just kind of dropping potentially a just another higher level of player on top of a room that's full and has options. 
we think, right? We just we don't know we, what we they think, think yeah. of, of Taraji Mitchell and Dallas Gant. And I do think if he came, he'd be one of those two guys, and then the Mitchell and Gant would be fighting to do the other one. And listen, Mike and Will, they can figure it out. I guess he played Will. He's in the box all the time. He's not a right. he's not a guy out in space right. covering tight ends. He's he's filling a hole in the run game and doing a pretty good job of it. And he is a downhill guy. He is a downhill guy. So he's intriguing. Um, Steven, do you, does this feel like something that is at least marginally possible at this point? Do you think? Sorry, I was texting our text or some news. Um, no, I, I, I think it, I think Ohio State had a guy last year, uh, not not a transfer, but a running back who, who was supposed to make a visit and ended up canceling, ended up just stay, sticking with his commitment to Georgia Tech. But no, I think he's going to come up here and just weigh his options. But I do think he's going to end up staying in the SEC. That, regardless of how you feel about the linebackers, that's a crowded room for him to have to surf through when there might be an open opportunity immediately somewhere else. I disagree with that. I, he's a two-year starter at Tennessee. What would feel crowded about coming to play at Ohio State when literally nobody in that linebacker room has ever played? I don't think the room is going to scare him away. I'm not saying he's going to come to Ohio State, but this is not – I mean, there are bodies in it. The whole point is they just lost their four linebackers who played snaps last year. Yeah, if, he, if he's not intimidated about going to Alabama. I don't know exactly what Alabama's depth – Neither do I, but I'm just saying that, like, what are the odds that this group that is at Ohio State right now is that much better than the linebacker group at Alabama right now? If if he doesn't come to Ohio State, it is not because the room was too crowded and he didn't think there was an opportunity. I think he would be the best linebacker on the team the minute he got here. I mean, he watch his film. It's I mean, I watch five minutes of highlights. I'm not going to act like I'm a scout. By the way, I have determined that in my opinion. It's a, this is an opinion about opinions. The opinions that I value least in the world about anything are the opinions of anonymous NFL scouts. This happens every year. The idea that these old, they're not all old, but I'm going to assume they are. These old jerks just like anonymously taking shots at current amateurs who are getting ready for their most important job interview. And I understand you have to do your job for your team. And I understand that we're journalists, but to just fling these anonymous, often baseless opinions, because listen, I mean, I don't know what the qualifications are to be an NFL scout. I imagine they are not more rigorous than to be a podcast host. I mean, honestly, if you think that like being an NFL scout is some kind of prestigious job, you're mistaken. So you are old and irrelevant. And the way you feel important is by taking anonymous shots at amateurs. And it's just, it's disgusting. And I don't talk to NFL scouts, just like I don't talk to agents because they all collectively can cram it in their cram holes. And if that means I don't get information, fine. I don't want your stupid, anonymous, self-serving, self-important, garbage information i'll form my own opinions because when i form my opinion i put my name on it and and journalism has to answer for this too once upon a time anonymous sources were used to reveal facts the anonymous opinion that has become the foundation of 80 percent of sports reporting is absolute garbage because we have no idea why, how the person formed their opinion, how much weight we should put on it. And so I'm telling you as a listener going forward, put nothing on it because they are garbage opinions from garbage people. And if you happen to be an NFL scout listening to this, I understand that I am painting with a broad brush, just like anonymous scouts do with their anonymous comments. So I will stand me, Doug Maurice. My opinion on the record is that NFL scouts are garbage people. And if that doesn't apply to everybody, if that's unfair, I'll live with that because I am sick of it. This is an entire industry of slander. And I have no idea who it serves or what its point is. And at some point as journalists, we have to stop reporting it because it's not fair. And they're going to be millionaires in a minute. And then they'll be pros. And then it, it's a different world. It is. 
when you're getting paid millions of dollars for what you do, I think it is fair to be treated differently. For now, it's garbage. So it's garbage in, garbage out. And I would just advise all of you who see it to ignore it and don't pretend that it's some great journalism. And I'm not just saying it because there was more garbage about Justin Fields on Wednesday because it's garbage about everybody, whether they're Alabama players or Michigan players or Florida State players or whatever. It's all garbage. So I'm mad about that. And I would love to get in an argument with the garbage person NFL scout who leaks this crap because I do bet Nathan and Steven, I don't, I don't bet. I'm sure that there are NFL scouts who don't do this and who think, and you know what happens most of the time with this, the people that leak and do the anonymous stuff are the people who are the worst at their job because the people who are locked in and really doing their thing are like getting good information, busting their butts and taking it back to their employers, to their teams. They're not spending all their time trying to feel self-important giving it to some random football reporter. So I, I bet there are NFL scouts who hate it too. But if you happen to be one of those people, you're garbage if you're the leaker, Nathan. I, it's, I assumed that it was the, the Justin Fields stuff that you saw today that, that triggered at least some of this uh, conversation, um, if, if we're going to call it a conversation, uh, this rant from, from Doug. And, but I think it is a good conversation for people. This is, people seem, our texters, our, our listeners, seem to like to hear from us sometimes about process. So very quickly, I want to say that when I covered college basketball, I had three or four guys in NBA scouting, men or women, that I could call and and talk to anonymously. And I would write about the, the guys on the team that were draft prospects. And it was like I was getting a consensus from those four people. And I was asking them about their abilities. Like, what, what, what do you think about this ability of this player? And very often at the end of those, I would be like, anything you want to ask me? And then they would ask me those kinds of questions about things like what kind of person are they who is around them what and a lot of times it was things i didn't really know i didn't know the ins and outs of those people's personal life but what i'm getting to is like I'm, i want to know where this stuff is coming from in the first place to these scouts that's then getting out because i'm seeing a lot of 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 journalists or people at ohio state who are like quick to like you know repudiate this but like it's coming from somewhere it's coming from i don't think it's coming out of nowhere so I want to know where this, where this, where these reactions are coming from. But you do find when you're in this business, you do find that there are lots of people who will take an opinion from someone who's not really like a primary source and then just repeat that until all of a sudden it sounds like a primary piece of information, but it's now a third hand piece of information from somebody who wasn't really involved and didn't really know the whole deal to begin with. Right. Which is, and then yeah. you feel well, important like, by repeating it. And just like an echo chamber kind of thing. The other thing about when it comes to drafts and free agency and stuff, like I, the other thing to remember is there could be a team that really, really, really hopes Justin Fields falls to them. That's putting stuff like this out. Right. Right. Which is again, now you're just, now you're using the kid unfairly. So uh, in conclusion, NFL scouts, garbage humans. All right. I think so. Henry To'o, To'o, you know, keep your ears open. Keep your eyes open. Mike Farrell from Rivals says he's supposed to be here this weekend. We'll see what happens until he's a member of the Alabama football team. I guess there's at least a possibility. And I think he would help Ohio State. We are going to talk about some transfers that actually are happening with the basketball program. And we'll do that next on Buckeye Talk. All right, back with the basketball portion. Actually, Nathan, let's start with this. Let's start with an update from our Yahoo basketball bracket because you texted something the other day about somebody in our bracket that I, I almost couldn't believe. And I want to make sure that we are giving this person proper credit on the podcast. So this person's name is Chris B., that's all I know about them. I haven't been able to look up anything beyond that. But someone has all four Final Four teams. Now, someone then responded to me on Twitter and said, well, I wonder if they were just picking, actually picking Michigan State to win that first round game and then didn't update their bracket like you guys did and just took the play-in winner. I didn't pick any play-in winners to advance that far, so I don't know if that's how the bracket works. So maybe it's possible that that's what – and they just lucked into it. But they have Gonzaga, UCLA, Baylor, and Houston all picked – for their final four, which I, and I believe out of the 275 or so brackets we had, I think that's one 
person that picked the final four correctly. I, I can't believe that anybody had it correctly because Gonzaga and Baylor, right? It's pretty normal, but Houston wasn't exactly a team that, that everybody believed in, in that Illinois side. And then I, I don't care how you arrived at, a, at an 11 in the final four. Like you get credit for having an 11 in the right. final four. <laughs> right. And, I, you know, I, again, I, I said that at the beginning, I had Michigan state against Michigan in that regional final. And then I changed it. But if you saw, well, you know, I don't know if I believe in Alabama as the two there. Right. And I think, oh, some of the other paths, I don't, you know, that uh, I think you could have arrived at that conclusion, but you still get credit for it. So like that is in a world where, I mean, I don't, I think I have one final four, right. That is like, I think almost everybody has Gonzaga in the final four, but other than that, you know, if you didn't believe in Baylor, then all of a sudden you're swimming around. So is Chris B then like way ahead, Nathan, like has Chris B locked down the win here. Uh, he is not locked down the win. He has 148 points. Aaron, Aaron's world-class bracket, second with 145, tied with Marugu, who called it the dartboard method and is at 145 points, only three points behind Chris. But Chris is in great shape. He's got Gonzaga over Houston for the championship. So if if Gonzaga wins a national championship and then certainly if Houston wins that other side, that will probably lock it up for him because nobody else has some combination that would jump that if Gonzaga wins over Houston. Zag is like a 20 point favorite over UCLA in that semifinal or something. I mean, I know people are saying, I mean, Gonzaga is like a 20 point favorite over everybody at this point. That's not a shot at UCLA. Um, Steven is not even paying attention to the podcast anymore. So, which is fine because he's working. Yeah. But is this, <laughs> is this EJ Liddell stuff that you're locked it is. in on? Yes. Yes. He, I, I had actually been texting individual texts about this for a week because they had been asking some of these questions. EJ Liddell has declared for the NBA draft with the intention of maintaining his eligibility, which is something players do. They'll declare, they'll get the necessary feedback, test the waters a little bit, and then they'll come back. Caleb Wesson did this after the 2018-2019 season, and he still came back, which is ex exactly what I expect EJ Liddell to do. I think Dwayne Washington might end up doing the same thing, so expect that type of announcement coming in the future. But, yeah, it's not. there's no worry that they're not going to be on the roster next year. Okay, so let's talk about the changes that actually are happening with Ohio State basketball. Musa Jallo out and some Penn State, State guy who averages four points a game coming in. I guess I'm supposed to be fired up. That's some great, that's some great acquisition. It, it's not. The Musa Jallo one, I, I mean, some I, talking to people, it's not a surprise that somebody was going to leave. And there's really two guys on this roster where if they're not doing one specific thing well, they're not playable. And one of those two guys is probably going to leave. And I would have put my money on the guy who's not from Ohio. And that's Musa Jallo. So he'll move on. He's, he'll spend his last two years of eligibility playing elsewhere, which is fine. You're not missing much. He's a defensive specialist, but he doesn't add anything offensively. He averaged like 2.9 points the last two seasons that he played. He didn't play in 2019, 2020 because of an ankle injury. So you add Jamari Wheeler, who is just a shorter version of Musa Jallo. He's in here to guard the Max Acemas of the world. That's what he's here to do. He's not going to add anything offensively. Your offense is still going to be EJ and Dwayne and Michi and Malachi when he shows up. He is here as another guy to handle some of the ball handling responsibilities, but more importantly, to guard some of these smaller guards so that Justice Sewing doesn't have to. Musa Jalla from Bloomington, Indiana, by the way, where they Correct. have some guys going the other way. It just makes me wonder if that could be in the back of his mind mm -hmm. or the forefront of his mind. I always like when it's like, ah, Musa Jalla is leaving. He's not that important. All he did was play 32 minutes in their last game of the year in the NCAA tournament when they lost. So, like, he we should not have been playing that many minutes. But he That's was part of the problem. Yeah. So, but, but also, I mean, like, you know, that's where they are. So I get it. They had an injury. They have one injury, and it's like, eh, this guy, he's not so good. We don't care if he leaves. He just played the whole game in the NCAA tournament, we were two seed and lost to a 15. So people, the, but the, so the Penn state guy is going to play point guard with Michi Johnson next year. I don't expect him to be the starter. I expect him to just be the backup and, uh, and play what 10, 12 minutes a game. But this is, I'm still expecting Michi Johnson to be the starting point guard. Correct. And is there some other guy that I saw some other guy who's transferring, who's like uh, between Louisville Pitt and Ohio state or something. Is that a guy who might be coming here? I saw it on the on the Twitter. Um, Jahar, I think you're talking about from Penn State. Yeah, the big man. He's been contacted by Ohio State as well. That's somebody that they're considering trying to bring in as well. Because that's the options are for the big or Efton Reed, the five-star center, or a graduate transfer. And he would fall under that. So I I can't wrap I'm this all this stuff makes me feel like a hundred years old. 
they have had a lot of movement with transfers in and out mm-hmm. in the past couple of years. And that's just normal, right? That's just normal. This is how it is. This is how a sweet 16 team builds its roster. Now you just like lose two or three guys and add two or three guys every off season through transfers. That's just how it is. Yeah, there are 700. There were 700 names in the transfer portal for college basketball before the t- before conference tournament started. That's just a part. Whether it should be the case or not, this is the reality of things is you're probably going to have some attrition every year. For good teams. For good teams? Yeah. Okay. I know, like, and I didn't even realize it, you know, Jay Sean Tate's brother, who was playing for Arkansas, was like at Northern Kentucky's whole Correct. career. Transferred to Arkansas for one year mm-hmm. and became like a really important player for a team that made the elite eight. So like, okay, I I'd also would like it, you know, like a transfer to do what Jalen Tate did for Arkansas. I would welcome that at Ohio state. So I'm just a bad person to talk to about this at the moment because they get transfers from Utah state and Bucknell and Harvard and Penn state. And it's, I'm, you're supposed to look at it as like some kind of team building exercise. And this is just the way it is. And my instinct is to say, if you're getting players from Utah State and Bucknell and Harvard and Penn State, maybe you're not so good. Yeah, maybe you're just as good as Utah State, Bucknell and Harvard. Now, that's just me and I'm a negative person. But that's where this is not Justin Fields, right? This is not. And they didn't get get Penn State's best player. It's not like they're getting guys from bad teams. They're not. The role is important. Yeah, yeah, they're not expected to come in and do what Justin Fields' role was going to be for Ohio State. They're expected to come in and just be a role player. Justice Suing was a quality transfer from Cal. Cal's a, a decent program. They're not an awesome program, but they're a decent program. And he was expected to come in and be an impact player. Whether it's Abel Porter or Jimmy Sotos, those guys weren't expected to come in here and be any more than the eighth or ninth guy in the rotation, which is fine for that role. Now, if you were expecting those guys, if they're expecting Jamari Willard to come in here and be their starting point guard, then you have a problem. But if you, as long as you're getting the C.J. Walker, Justice Suing type transfers to be that guy, it's fine. And are they definitely going to add a big guy? Like, that's a 1,000% they, they will add a big guy. Yeah, they're going to add a big guy. Whether it's graduate transfer or Afton Reed, they're going to add a big guy. Okay. Basketball Buckeyes making it happen. Um, the Supreme Court is talking about college sports. That happened on Wednesday, opening arguments before the Supreme Court in the NCAA versus Alston case, which is a thing that's been percolating for years and years and years. It potentially could shake the foundation of amateurism as we know it in America. So I feel kind of weird. It's like, ah, when we're done talking about the Penn State point guard who averages four points a game, let's talk about the fundamental shift in how college sports operates that could be on the horizon. We'll get to that right after discussing whether a backup power forward from Colgate should be the next Buckeye. Like that's, I, I, it feels weird to talk about it, but I also, I'm not going to pretend I'm an expert on it. And I wasn't listening to it because you could listen to the oral arguments, but I was following everybody who was like, Elena Kagan just said the NCAA stinks. Clarence Thomas just said the NCAA stinks. Like it was just like everybody liberal and conservative, Nathan, and we had a lawyer when I texted about it, or a lawyer reminded us, listen, don't like take the tone of questions and opening yep. arguments mm-hmm. and make assumptions. However, I also was not necessarily prepared for like all nine justices to be lined up to say, hey, you stink. Even if it's just a question, it's one of those. Sometimes I say questions, but I don't use inflection at the end. And it sounds like a statement. So I meant to say, you stink. Like Amy Comey Barrett was like, you stink? NCAA, even if it's a question, it seemed the tenor of the discussion was quite critical. And then it changed a little bit. And I got around Stephen Breyer is crying because he thinks sports back in the day was was great. And he wants a bunch of guys standing on the sidelines with megaphones leading cheers for State U. And he thinks if they, you know, screw up the NCAA, that won't happen anymore. So I get it. But Nathan, there did seem to be a tenor that just caught my attention. I think caught the attention of a lot of people smarter than us. Yeah. And I, I think they're right that there is that skepticism in the body of, of the, of SCOTUS that's that the Supreme court that, that has some skepticism about this. However, I do think there are also people sometimes who have an idea of what their position is and they will ask 
questions the same way that we do, frankly, sometimes like I'm asking you this question so you can tell me what I believe. You know what I right. mean? Like you could reinforce mm-hmm. what I'm going to eventually rule. Now, maybe they don't have their mind made up quite that much yet. But but I think what's interesting is when you start to hear and it's always funny when things get to the Supreme Court sometimes and they ask these questions that seem so fundamental. And it's almost like they're granted they're, they're given credit for having this epiphany. Like Clarence Thomas is kind of asking, like, oh, wait a second. Why is there like a closed market for what a athlete is paid, but in a wide open market for how many millions a coach is paid? And people are like, wow, can you believe he asked that? And I'm like a billion people ask yeah. that every day. We're like jumping up and down with our hair on fire asking that question. Um, but but also that, you know, there definitely are justices who are asking like why, you know, Elena Kagan asking basically why should the NCAA get to control, fix the price of labor in this market that it has? And it kind of comes down to that question of is this a market or is it something else? And I think that's I'm going to be interested when we get out of the end of this to see if we've moved towards more of a definition just of what college sports are now. There does seem to be some apprehension as well. And I think there's there's, this is reasonable apprehension of like, okay, well, we could issue a ruling that basically blows up the amateurism model. But if we don't have a solution for what you do next, then where is everything? And that, I think, is part of what the NCAA is arguing is like, listen, it's our deal. We'll figure it out. We'll get somewhere better. Right. But don't do it this way. Don't do it by blowing it up in the courts. And then there's no solution. We know this business better than anybody. Let us figure it out. And I do. And smart people are saying that sort of is the thrust of their argument. And the the court may come around on that because the court can't solve this. The court could just, you know, issue a ruling that says this is not right. You can't fix the labor costs. This is an antitrust issue. You have to allow players to be paid by the schools. And then the devil's in the details. And there would be a ton of details. But on the other hand, I also think there's a compelling argument of like, if you don't blow it up, it's never going to change because this incremental change, yes, they have stipends. Yes, there's cost of attendance. Yes, we're getting to name, image, and likeness. But the NCAA drags its feet all along the way. And if you never force them to do it, they're never really probably going to get to paying players on their own. So if you think they should do it, you might have to blow it up and then try to cobble it together. And again, the whole system, is just a scaffolding built on top of a scaffolding. It's not a building. It was like a one-room schoolhouse, and then they built a convention center around it by building and adding one room at a time. There was not a master plan to the way college athletics, amateur athletics works in America. So if you care about college sports, you know, keep one ear open. It's one of these things. It's just like you don't have to like walk around during the day and be like, oh, I wonder what the Supreme Court's thinking about. Just live your life. But this is happening, Stephen. Like, I mean, it's we're all on Twitter and and someone asked me a question on text like, well, could you summarize the Alston case to this point? And I was like, you mean as a professional journalist whose focus is on college athletics? Could I summarize the most important court case in the history of college sports? Absolutely not. I have no idea what I'm talking about. (laughs) Sorry. I know you're paying four (laughs) bucks a month, but I got nothing. So. It's not, you know, just our audience, readers and listeners just happens to care more about Joe Royer's hair than they care about the principles of amateurism. But, Stephen, like, it is kind of a thing that's happening right now. You want, Yeah, you want to pay a, a, some attention to it just so you know what's going on. But if you spend too much time, you'll probably drive yourself crazy trying to figure out what is going on. Because they did feel like at times, and a few times today I've actually kind of listened in, it was, what's your end game here? What's your end game here? And it was never really getting answered. What's the what's the master plan here of where we're if we're 10 years from now, how does this look? And it never seemed like the NCAA had a really good answer for that question. And if you're just an avid listener listening to that, you're probably driving yourself crazy. So like you said, the devil's in the details sometimes. So just to know what's going on, yes, keep your ear to it. But don't try to sit there and listen to every single detail because it doesn't seem like the NCAA has figured all that out either. So you'll drive yourself crazy trying to do that. It, it, yeah. I mean, I think I think that's the right way to do it. It is sort of Nathan, you sort of mentioned this, like when you get it out in the sunshine, there is just stuff that even though we ask about it, we just sort of take it for granted because this is how like college sports works. Right. And then when you do get out in the real world and it's like, so let me get this straight. The coaches make millions of dollars and the players make zero. And as soon as you're like, 
just in the world, it's like, well, what if that was a business or a restaurant and the bosses made a million dollars and the workforce literally made zero or you paid them in food or you paid them. You didn't give them money. You gave them you said, oh, you can go take a class for free. And then you get out in the real world. You're like, yeah, that 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 that, that doesn't make sense. Like in, so, in the real world, none of it makes sense. Nathan. They have a and, word for it in the real world. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's called oh, slavery. Yeah. It's called slavery or yeah. indentured servitude. I mean, that's one of those things I do think. I mean, like people make that argument. And it's like sometimes I mean, I, I know you don't mean it, but it's like. There's like, yeah, I think that is <laughs> I mean, it's it's not the same thing because, it's not, but, you know, the choice to do it, it but is. it's a screwed up system. Nobody uh-huh. disputes that. And sometimes yeah. when you get when you put it out in the world, Nathan, and let some air and sunshine get on it. It really makes you scratch your head sort of about like, what are we doing here? Because if you don't know anything about sports and you would present this labor situation to somebody like nobody would say, yep, that makes sense. Yeah. And that's the thing that gets me like, I don't I wouldn't use a term that strong to describe it, but I understand what Steven's saying. But it's still it, it always comes back to me. It's like, OK, if you believe that this is the right way, that this is a fair system, like I want you to imagine at your job where your bosses get to pay each other as much as they want. And keep, you know, the profits keep rising every year and they just keep distributing that amongst themselves. But industry wide, they've all decided you can only make this much. And it's not like you it's not a union thing. It's not like you came to that through collective bargaining. And here's like the slots for different levels of experience and different jobs or whatever. It's just a flat thing that everybody makes. I know it changes from school to school, depending on how much school costs or whatever, but generally a flat thing that like again there's nowhere else that we do that there's just nowhere else i don't understand people who are like very capitalist on one second and then look at this and say no that's the only way we can do that because my god what if we can't pay a 50 million dollar buyout to some coach when we need to fire him in three years and that if it's this is the thing you do it's the only place you can do it like everybody says well then don't do it if you don't like it's like what am i supposed to do it now the g league is becoming more of an option but like for football there's no option if you want to play football this is what you have to do and you have to do it for three years and there's no way around it so um and but the the reason that we are talking about this is because i do think a lot of people don't like this discussion when it's just our opinion but we're discussing it because there are nine people whose opinions like shape how this country works who are going to decide on this so our opinions don't matter. And we have moved away over time. There's not a lot of point in discussing it constantly. It's a Supreme Court case right now. It's finally here. And what those nine people think absolutely matters, which is why we're bringing it up here. I did just this. I, I wanted to bring this up because uh, I wanted to save it for the end, but because we kind of got away from it on this from from the 616 podcast question. How do you guys come up with stuff to talk about every day? I don't know how you guys do it. And then the second part is should Ohio state decrease Dwayne Washington's role next season. So we can ask, we can answer the second part, but I just wanted to say, I actually do think it's one of the best things we do that we constantly come up with stuff to talk about. And we don't just follow the news. We come up with ideas. We come up with themes and we're really good at it. So I thank you for noticing that. I do think ideas matter and we're good at coming up with ideas. Today was one of the first times in a long time where this was leftovers a lot of times, even when we do rapid fire, rapid fire is not leftovers. Rapid fire, I don't cook very much, but sometimes when I do, I like to make the stir fry and I get all the vegetables that my family wants and whatever, and I chop them all up and we put them on the counter and you can make your own stir fry. That's not leftovers. That's just a little buffet, right? You come down. Rapid fire is a buffet, but lately I've been eating leftovers. The other day I had an empanada and some Chinese buns for lunch because it was, and I had some like chicken fried rice and some salsa. It was like everything that was in the fridge just jammed together. We almost never do that. That's what we came up with today. I didn't have another great thing. I didn't want to do more than eight minutes on tight ends. But this was the leftover day. So let's finish with what the leftover. So the person who said we come up with good ideas, should Dwayne Washington's role decrease next season, Stephen? Yes. And I think it will. Both as a ball handler and as a scorer? I think as a ball handler, I think there is a role for that style of player. Uh, Somebody asked me uh, what my prototypical starting lineup would be, and I'll just go off of the players that I know will be on the roster next year. I think I told him uh, Michi Johnson, Dwayne, Malachi, Justice, and EJ. But I am standing in the corner of make Dwayne your six man. 
just like how CJ Walker towards the end of the season was just coming off of the bench, but he was playing starter minutes. Do that for Dwayne. Let him see where the game is going first before you just throw him out there. So he has a better understanding of, okay, this is what they need for me tonight. They need me to score or they need me to defend or they need me to play make, but also it makes sure the ball is in the hands of Michi or Justin justice first before you throw another ball handler out there. And those guys are getting comfortable and into a rhythm. So that way, when you get to the last four minutes, you're not just relying on Dwayne Washington to jack up shots, hoping, hoping this is the night he makes them. I like it. Dwayne doesn't start, but Dwayne closes. Mm-hmm. And Dwayne plays a lot of minutes. And then he can almost be your backup point a little bit. Because I think it's okay if Dwayne runs the offense sometimes. He just can't run the offense all the time. And he can't run the offense in crunch time all the time. So I really like that idea. And again, Malachi is Malachi Branham, who's a top 25 national recruit coming in as a freshman who – is going to be really important to this offense next year. So that's an interesting way to think about that. We do, we will get there. We, I still have a lot of basketball questions saved. We will get to a, I think maybe once all the transfers are in and out, once they get this last big guy and we know what the roster is going to be for next year, we'll do that, Steven. And we'll do one more big basketball pod to sort of wrap everything up and look ahead. Yeah, yeah, and I know last year I did my projections for the season. I'm kind of putting that off, too, until the season, this actual basketball season is over and we know what the roster looks like. So, yeah, look forward to that. All right, so Buckeye Future Friday is coming tomorrow. You guys know what you're focusing on or still? Yeah, I'm going to say it right here. Uh, I, I think we need to grade their assistance as recruiters. Just go through it. Uh, and I, I, I kind of laid it out a couple of months ago, uh, weeks ago, so Nathan, you probably don't remember. But I think we should just take maybe from the 2018 season to 2022 and grade the performance of these assistant coaches. All right. So recruiting discussion ahead. Then we'll be back on Saturday for the big weekend Buckeye talk. Make sure you catch up on the last couple. I thought the last two were both pretty interesting. How many first round draft picks are on the 2021 roster? That was the big Wednesday pod and the Tuesday pod was like another reset of the quarterback situation at Ohio State and how maybe normal it is compared to what's going on uh, with a lot of other big teams who are changing quarterbacks this season. So appreciate you guys listening. 614-350-3315 is where you can sign up for the text for 14 days and then try it for four bucks a month after that. Make sure you're reading cleveland.com slash OSU. For Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice. And that was Buckeye Talk. Mm-hmm.